Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, um, when this airs, because we record on Tuesday, when this airs Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, the Kings may be the Stanley Cup champions, which I'm a huge hockey fan. I mean, you know, my first team is the Flyers. So watching them play the Rangers, the Kings play the Rangers is great because I hate the Rangers. <laughs> but I went out to the bar. I went to Wakano. Me and a bunch of my buddies went out. We, I brought my girlfriend. My one buddy brought his wife. And it was like it was like high school dance. Like the guys watched hockey and the girls just chattered away. But there was a guy sitting next to me, and I know him from around town, and he's a huge L.A. fan. But he was trying to be funny, and it started getting annoying because he kept saying, puck the Rangers, okay, puck instead of the F word. And so he kept saying that, and I'm like, okay, it was funny the first time, but then, like, every adjective was pucking this, pucking that. And it was, it was just awful. And thank God he left in the second period because I, I wanted to say something because it just gets annoying when someone's yelling that constantly. And so anyway, that's about it. That's I just, I hate that. So if you ever see me, don't even, don't even say puck this, puck that. That's because I just, I can't take it. And enough about this. We have a, we have a great show. We have a, it turns out my, my, Guest today, Matt Ice. It's, it's pronounced Iceman. Iceman, yeah, Iceman. like the Heisman Trophy, no age. Okay, because I was saying, because if it was Iceman, like when we were growing up, we would have called you like George Gervin. Oh yeah, exactly. Like One thing he could do was finger roll. Right. Or I, I have that poster in my bedroom. Do you have? Okay. Oh yeah. Now, now it's funny because a lot of people know this gentleman. I, you've seen him in American Ninja Warrior. And you host that, but you were yeah. a comic first. You're yeah. amazing. You've, uh, we're going to talk about your upbringing and how you were a doctor. And, and first of all, people, just so you know, this this gentleman is probably like, thank God he's a nice guy because every comic, <laughs> every comic would probably hate him because one, he's a doctor. Two, he's good looking. Three, he's six three. I mean, if, if you went on the road with this guy doing comedy, if he was the MC and you were the headliner, you would not get action because they'd be going for it. They'd be like, oh, "We want the MC. He's honky. You, you're, you're the little nebbishy guy." But uh, so they'll now, tell me to puck off is yeah. what they'll tell me. <laughs> so now you're from Colorado? From Colorado. Well, actually, I was born in Jersey, Bergen County. Okay, um, but grew up in Colorado since I was a year old. So Colorado's home. My folks are still there in the house where I grew up. See, that's always cool. My parents sold the house like 15 years ago. And it's just weird. because It's like, like your childhood's gone. Yeah, because you go it's back gone. and you're looking and you're going. And like my girlfriend lives lived back east. So I was back and forth for a year and a half. Yeah. And she just moved out here. But even then, it's like I wanted to drive by the house. And when you slow yeah. down, they think it's like some weird, like this guy's looking because it's painted different. And you, and you want to get out. And you want... And, 25 years ago, you could get out and you could knock on a door yeah, and you could say, right. hey, but now they're like, you're not coming into my house. Someone someone actually, I, I have a place here in LA. Someone stopped, knocked on the door and was like, I used to live here. And I was like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now get the F out of here. So now you, when you grew up, your father was a doctor. Yes. Okay. Now what, what kind of medicine? He did pulmonary medicine. So uh, he's actually one of the world's experts on tuberculosis, literally wrote the textbook on TB, traveled the world uh, all over giving talks and kind of... Um, designing the therapy for tuberculosis. So kind of a respected figure in the community. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, then there's me. No, but no, see, so now you, when you were in high school, or actually elementary school, you're a big guy, so I'm sure you played a lot of sports. Yeah. So what, what was your, you said you pitched baseball. Were you a football player? I uh, played football, basketball, and baseball in high school and uh, was best at baseball. Really enjoyed high school football. I don't know I, I, if you've ever watched the show Friday Night Lights. Right. Like uh, th there is that magic. B baseball is great, but people are not fanatical about it the way they are football, even in Colorado. I mean, we would get you know, six to 7,000 people coming out to our games, and it was just. It was it was an awesome experience because you knew all the girls were in the stands watching right. you, and you know you're in your tight pants, feeling buff. You've you've hit the weight room, um, but yeah, and then played uh, baseball in college. So my dad was an athlete too, so uh, he was a football player. So I think he wanted me to do football, but uh, 
I, I didn't like getting hit. I was yeah. better at baseball. So now you're you're in high school, and at any point before you got out of high school, college, did you ever think you'd become a comedian or a host or go into the, uh, this uh, profession? Well, no, no, not at all. But but I always loved being the center of attention. In fact, the first time I ever really performed was high school graduation. A friend and I did Hans and Franz for graduation, which sounds dated, but it was 89, so it was incredibly relevant back then. Oh, yeah, it was huge. But we had, we had like you know, 10,000 people at this graduation, and it went awesome. So the first time I ever performed... Still may have been the biggest crowd I've ever performed in front of, and it was awesome. So I, it gave me a taste. But I never, you never, I never considered entertainment as a viable option. I always thought you go to school, you go to college, you get a serious profession, and and you get a house and have a family, and you're respectable and responsible. I didn't know you could move out to L.A. and tell jokes and host TV shows. Right. So, so you, and you grew up, of course, you grew up with a doctor. Yeah. So it's like you had that certain, you know inkling to, to follow the footsteps and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think it was kind of ingrained in it. My, my dad, I will say, he never pressured me to go into medicine. I think it was more by example. I just saw how much he enjoyed his profession and how much respect he got from it. I liked science. I liked people. I thought it was a good fit. But I, I actually didn't even decide until midway through college that that was what I was going to do. So it wasn't like I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a doctor. I grew up thinking I would be an astronaut or a baseball player or some of those other, a wizard, some something that uh, kids dream about. Were your grades good? Yeah. Because yeah, Princeton was yeah, saying it's no, Ivy I, Yeah, I graduated. Yeah, I, I, you know, all the AP classes, all A's, you know, it was like 11th in my class and out of 900. And yeah, I graduated Princeton with honors, went to Columbia Medical School and graduated there with honors. So I'm a good student, but uh, it just... It, when I got into medicine and was actually doing residency, I realized my heart wasn't in it. And the problem, I enjoyed medical school. I enjoyed the challenge, but medical school isn't being a doctor. It has very little to do with it. So it's this kind of thing where people are like, well, why didn't you know? I'm like, you, because I didn't get a chance to do it until residency. And right. that's when I realized I'm already four years in and, and a few dollars. Um, but I just decided to take a chance. I actually decided to take a year off. I wasn't, I didn't quit. I said, I'm going to take a year off, reevaluate, maybe switch my focus. I was doing internal medicine, thought about going to emergency medicine, but I said, in the interim, I'm going to do something I really hadn't done before. Moved out to LA and started doing stand up and fell in love with it. Where were you living when you were doing your internship? Colorado. I, mean, oh, so you I was in Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. So, and I actually worked at the hospital where my dad was a professor. So you can imagine, you know, it's the father's dream. The son follows in right. the footsteps. He gets to go around. That's Dr. Eisman's son. He's also Dr. Eisman. How did you pick Princeton? I mean, how, I mean of all places. Well, like my dad had gone there. My brother was there. Um, but it was I, I only applied to two schools, Princeton and Stanford. And I, I was lucky enough to get into both. And uh, ultimately, it came down to I was good at baseball, but Stanford was coming off back-to-back -back college uh, World okay. Series championships, and I thought, I'm not that good. Right. thought I had a better shot of playing at Princeton. I ended up having uh, two of my best friends from high school were going there. So my brother was there. You know, I'd grown up going there with my dad. It just kind of felt a little more comfortable. You know, it's funny. I always say this, too. Uh, it just cracks me up because growing up in New Jersey, you know, everyone picks on New Jersey. New Jersey's yeah. a really nice state. Well, I mean, it's because of Newark. I think right. Newark, the armpit of New Jersey, gives it a bad example. That's all most of the people see from New York. They don't get to see the the lush, verdant greenery that is New Jersey. And and really, how it feels like you can live in a forest in just about any city, just completely isolated from humanity, and yet still be minutes away from New York and Philly. So you, you took a you took a year off and you decided to come. Now, had you been to LA before, or I mean, and what just visiting for you know? I think the longest I'd ever been here was four days. And, and 
what made you sit there and go, I want to do stand-up? I mean, because you're, you're coming from such well, a, a I long did, school. I did stand-up a couple times in medical school in New York. Uh, actually, a friend was doing comedy, and he dragged me out to an open mic as an audience member. You may recall, Coop, the bringer shows. I was the brought person. I, You know, it's funny. I, didn't, I When I did comedy, because I started in, I think, 88 or 89, in Philadelphia, there was no bringer shows. It was oh. you signed up, and you did it. And then when I had gone, I didn't go to New York a lot, but when I did, I would I knew people, so I would get a spot at Danger Fails. I wasn't yeah. starting. And that's when I... When I, I got out of the business for a long time, and now I do it just for fun occasionally. Yeah. And someone's like, yeah, you can do my show, you know, if you uh, bring people. Oh, I go, God. Wait, because like when I went back to Cherry Hill, because I had been back there forever, yeah. I did a show, and I was going back and forth, and I had been on stage there forever. And, you know, yeah, 30 people came to see me, but that's also the feature getting paid money right. and doing 30 minutes. But right. people would say, hey, can you bring, yeah, well, how much? So I'm getting, I'm getting more time? Oh, no, 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 you're, you're getting no. seven minutes. You're and, just and, providing and the it. audience for every and, other and comic I hate that. there. I, and I, yeah. that's why I think comedy stinks now. Yeah. But so, so you had, you went, who was, who was the comic? Do you remember? Your uh, friend? Uh, yo, yeah. It was, so this is this is. It was actually a friend from high school, the guy who I did Hans and Franz with. I'm in medical school. He comes out to New York. He's pursuing uh, on camera stuff with news, and he starts doing stand up. And he's like, "You should do stand up." And I tell him, "Oh, cool. You should do medical school." So I end up quitting doing med- doing comedy. He then goes into medical school, and becomes a doctor. Wow. But then he quits as well, and now he's doing uh, per- corporate comedy. So I, I think our parents rue the day we met. Two MD. He's not being used. What's, what's his name? Brad Nieder. Brad, okay, He's I, the healthy humorist. Yeah, it, I mean, it was. It really is that. I, I. What are the odds that that two guys who you know went to high school together, who first the very first time we both performed was at Hans and Franzing, and now we're both. Now you were in, you doing see, comedy. Now you went to see the show with him. Yeah, and then I think that, it was at Hamburger Harry's. Maybe yeah, did, it was awful. It was one of those ones where they draw a name out of a hat. You get four minutes, and it was all comics and. and I, I appreciate how much worse it is now as a comic, but even then, as a as a novice audience member, you sense this is awful. Right. Not good comedy at a horrible environment for it. So then, do you got but any more uh, New York? Did you forget up again? I did. I did a couple times at uh, there was a, a bar called the West End uh, Gate at like 110th and Broadway. That was a, a, a Columbia student hangout, and so I went there a couple times. Um, but I, I, I one of the things that that uh, cemented my love of stand up. Um, was I went to the Boston Comedy Club, and this had to be like 95 or 96. And I didn't know them at the time, but now, looking back, I remember vividly who I saw. And this was on one show, and the three guys who stood out were Jim Gaffigan, Dave Chappelle, and Dane Cook. Right. And so I saw these three guys doing it, and, you know, little do I realize you're seeing three of you know, t- t- who have become some of the top comics right. in the business now, but just thinking, wow, this is what stand-up is. It looks so much fun. You know, everyone's hilarious. Yeah, you know, not really. Not everyone. You right. know, the more you do it, the more you realize most people aren't that that funny, but so, so you, we, you, we muddle through. So you did that, and then you move out, so you say, I'm going to come to L.A. Yeah. So you, now, where do, you, where do you decide you're going to move when you come to L.A.? So I came out here. I had a buddy who was living up in the Hollywood Hills, uh, just near Gower, had this... Nice place. There were like six people living in a gorgeous house. You is, know. It, is it? Was it near Beechwood Canyon? Because um, I, I, I had a friend who lived on Cherimoya, who was if you go up, it, hour, it was, it was you know this, it was it was a little more west of that. Okay, it was like the next valley over. Okay, but uh, just a crazy place. So I stayed with them, and I'm like, I'm going to stay in the Hollywood Hills. But then I went to visit my cousin who lived in Santa Monica. I got out of the car. You know, this I was here in August, so it was like 98 degrees up in the Hollywood Hills. And I go to the beach. It's 75 degrees, sunny, and a breeze. I'm like, 
forget the hills. I'm right. living near the beach. So I ended up, I got a place on the boardwalk in Venice Beach. Um, this big place that faced the ocean. It was just random luck. I walked into a place when they were showing it. And he's like, before it hit the market, he's like, well, you, you, you seem like a normal dude. You want it? And I'm like, yes. And I stayed there for the first seven years. And it was wow. it was awesome. I yeah, loved it's, it's it. Just... I miss it. I miss being near the water. Where do you live now? Uh, Melrose in La Brea, right okay. in the belly of the beast in Hollywood. See, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because it's like when, you know, when we go to Santa Monica or, you know, when Joanne would come visit, we would go down there. And it's just growing up in New Jersey, the beaches are very different. But oh, yeah. it's, I mean, just like, as I say, you know, we don't have the ladies selling the fruit on the beach. Right. And, like, people bringing full pizzas to the beach, you know, <laughs> right. which always threw me off. And there's more people in jeans on the beach. Yeah. I mean, but it was just, but the beaches are beautiful when you sit there. And it amazes me, like when you go to Santa Monica to, to the pier, you can park like right across the street and it costs you like six bucks for yeah. the whole day. I'm oh, like, God. Six bucks. I'm like, in Philadelphia, just park in a lousy area, it costs you 20 it's, bucks. Well, it's crazy. It's crazy, though, how, you know, we're in LA and, and the beach, you know, physically isn't that far, 15 or 20 miles. But it feels like, you know, that can be on a Saturday. That can be an hour and a right. half. So it becomes this thing that you just don't take advantage of. It's true. Because I say that awful. people always go, how close? I say, and that's, I tell them the same thing. I go, well, Burbank, to, uh, it's about 20 miles. Oh, you must go a lot. No, because it might take an hour and a half. People do not understand geography. Mileage does not translate in L. You can't talk in miles. you got to talk in minutes. Like and in, even then, it's variable. Yeah, like in New Jersey, it's like, okay, I grew up in Cherry Hill. Princeton. Princeton's 60 miles. Yeah. It's an hour. Yeah, and, right. Or the Jersey Shore, if you're not going right at rush hour from, from <laughs> right. Cherry Hill. You got to stop at a Roy Rogers yeah, snack stand exactly. on the way. I used to go to Stone Harbor or Avalon, right. so That was like 85 miles. So you go, okay, you know, an hour and 10 minutes. Right. But it doesn't work this way. Uh, it's crazy. It is off. It's, it's that thing of, you know, and a lot of times as comics, you'll make those drives at three or four in the morning. When there is no traffic, right. and you're like, this is what it should and exactly. could be. So, so you move to Venice. Now, how do you how do you tactically decide that you're going to start comedy? I I so I, I, I one of the things that really motivated me to do stand up was just before I left, I saw Brian Regan at the Comedy Works in Denver. I met him once years ago. I was playing the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, and he popped in because I guess that was his. He was a comic, Florida comic for right. a while. Yeah. And it's funny because we all, and this is probably like in 1990, and he was already, I mean, an amazing, amazing comic. But what what was amazing about it was he was just the nicest guy. Like yeah, he came in and he talked to every comic, and it was it was a pay, well, there was I mean I think there might have been an open mic after the the book show. Yeah, but it was so cool because he was you know, he's such an amazing comic and just. And he's so funny. And just, he was so cool. And I always remember that, like, you know, you meet some comics totally. who are jerks, but he was just so nice. And he was just this, he's already been on Letterman, like, 15 times, like, what, God, 400 times? Right. So you saw, where just, you saw him in Colorado? Colorado at the Comedy Works, which is still, to this day, one of my favorite clubs. I don't know if you've ever been to that downtown Comedy Works. It's, it is just an amazing room. And, you know, he was, it, it was one of those things where he walked out on the stage going, you know, just trying to go through life, not looking stupid. It's not working out too well. And from there, I was hooked. 45 Wait. minutes laughing as hard yeah. as I've ever like, laughed in my life. Yeah. 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 See, he's always been someone who I don't understand how he never got a sitcom because he's he's a good-looking guy. Yeah. He's clean. He's one of the cleanest acts. And I always wonder. I well, what? I've heard two stories. One, I heard he's not a good actor. But that was from other people. But then I've heard him interviewed numerous times, and he goes, honestly, I love stand-up. 
And he's like, he's making a living doing theaters now. Making tons of money. Yeah. It's more so, than a living. So, you know, but, but the reality is he's, he's what you aspire to, but he is one of the few comics who's done it that way. Because, you know, comedy is not what it used to be no. financially. He's one of the guys, though, who's just who's made his following from being on the road. You look at people, awesome comics, Amy Schumer or uh, Chelsea Handler, Joel McHale, all these people. TV has really allowed them a whole new reach. And that's, it jump-started their careers. So in a matter of five, ten years, they could be where it took Regan 30 years to be. But and I, I just don't know many people who are out being road dogs anymore making it. It's, right. it's so hard. So you saw him and you said, I got to do this. And so I remember I drove out with his CD in my U-Haul truck, just listening to it on repeat. And when I got out here, I just got the, uh, the, the, what is it? The fever? The, no, the, ma- <laughs> the fever. The comedy the, the, fever. No, the weekly magazine. Not the, oh, it's the OC Weekly. Dramalogue? Dramalogue? No, uh, no, uh, no. LA Weekly? No. The LA Weekly. Okay. LA Weekly. I just got it, looked up the open mics and back and started going five, six, seven times a week, going to like... The hustler Johnny Montana, who was booking the hustler uh, porn store, had a comedy show up there on Sunset. The West End Gate, um, these places up in Ventura that no longer exist, coffee houses, you know, horrible venues with all comics. But I was so excited just to be out here. I didn't know how bad it was. I was just thrilled to be getting on stage and was lucky enough that I kind of stumbled into commercials pretty quickly. So started making a good living off of commercials. How did you find your agent? I mean, because it's... I, so I had a friend who was an actress, and she was on Drew Carey, and they were doing a softball scene, and they needed extras. And I, since I played baseball in college, she was able to get me on uh, to be one of the ringers. So I do the episode. It turns out the agent of virtually every other ringer there at where all these other professional ball players uh was like hey i want to rep you as well and i'm like well i don't have an agent that's perfect started sending me out and i started booking commercials what were some of the commercials you started booking first one i booked was for pontiac i was a secret service type agent um i did one for water pick where i was actually a mouth puppet i had to be invert like at a 45 degree down angle my head dangling over with a puppet on the face of my top teeth my bottom teeth looked like the puppet's top teeth. They had eyeballs on my chin and a, a little wig. And then we had to do that for seven hours and my neck cramped. I don't think it's ever healed from that. That's funny. Uh, all kinds. Of, I did a, one for a Lamisil and Athlete's Foot cream where I was a baseball player. And my friend I, still I quoted saw, to me. I probably saw it. What, well, what, you was know, your, what was your line in it? Uh, uh, who does that? Today, they're out. Lamisil gets you healed faster. It was, But it's one of those things where it's not the most, it's not the one you brag to your friends about, but those ones are evergreen. That thing ran for, I think, three years, and it was just a cash cow. And so it's just, you know, I became the voice of DirecTV for three years, which was, you know, it was my introduction to voice work and that you can make money in these 30-minute sessions where you show up in shorts. I'm like, this, this is the right. life. So you're getting them. So then, then you, you so you don't have to worry about a job because you're making the commercial. Yeah, money, and you got your place in Venice. Yeah, and you're going through these lousy open mics, horrible open mics. So when do you start trans- channeling, getting actually feeling like your act is getting your comfortable so with an act? Was banging around, and the first I think the first thing that really kickstarted me was I did a contest called the Rocky Mountain Laugh Off in Salt Lake. City, Utah, at a club called Wise Guys, which is run by Keith Stubbs. Now, how did you find out about that? So I had a friend, Courtney Cronin, one of the funniest women I've ever met. Absolutely hilarious stand-up. And she was going out there, and she wanted people to drive with her. So... You know, as as it, so, I moved out here September one ninety nine, and and coincidentally, uh, P J Walsh and Michael Batts, two 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 guys who would become my friends, moved out on that same day, and I met P J within two weeks, Batts within a month. P J, he's friends with Bill Connolly, I think. 
Tom Connolly or Bill? No, Bill Bill Connolly. Oh, I don't know Bill Connolly. No, James F. Connolly. Wait, no, oh, J- J- yeah. James, James Connolly. James yeah. P. Connolly. Yeah, James yeah, P. Connolly. Exactly. PJ, PJ was a military guy, great guy. But it ended up being the three of us. And, you know, in comedy, you need you need wingmen. You need people who drag you out when right. you don't want to go out. So Bats, PJ, and I spent about the first three and a half years every night out at the clubs together. And so Courtney was like, why don't you guys all come out to this Rocky Mountain Laugh-Off? So we went. I did okay. I think I finished fourth. Um, but the, the owner of the club's like, I want you to headline. I'm like, um, I appreciate it. I've got 20 minutes and it was three months away. He goes, don't worry. You'll have 45 by then. And I'm like, no, I won't. Right. But I did, you know, I headlined and necessity's the mother of invention. You start dragging out bits and looking at the crowd. So, uh, where are you guys from? We're from Utah. Where do you think we're from? Yeah. It's, it's so funny. But that was my first shot headlining. And, and ever since then I was, you know, headlining and featuring at some good clubs and it it takes one break and then you kind of see, once you see, you can do it. No, it, I think it gives you a big boost. So you, you headlined there, and then what were some of the other clubs you started playing at then? Uh, in Colorado, Looney's gave me a break. Um, Larry and Lila Lee up in uh, Colorado Springs was uh, that was uh, that was actually the first club where I ever worked. I worked there as an MC, um, and then eventually graduated to headlining. And then Wits End in Colorado ended up. Uh, uh, finally graduating to Comedy Works, which is awesome. It's like I go back to my hometown now and perform the club where I used to watch the Giants play. Isn't there two Comedy Works? There are. There's a, So there's the downtown one, which is just a phenomenal, I think, the best room in the U.S. And then the, the uh, Comedy Works South, which is less than a mile from the home where I grew up. Okay. So it's it's awesome when I go. I usually play the South one now because yeah, I still have a lot of fr- I, it's it's easy for me to draw there because everybody lives within two or three miles. They can't have an excuse. I can't drive out right. there. Right? Yeah. Like, listen, on. you could walk here. You can so, Uber. Yeah. Get the Uber. Exactly. Get the Lyft. Get the Lyft. Exactly. So you're headlining and now and you're you are you still getting commercial work? Yeah. Yeah. Commercials. I you know comedy. I've I've never supported myself exclusively from comedy. I've been lucky enough to do it from commercials. And then uh, in 2004, I got my first uh, hosting gig. Um, I was doing uh, shows at the Groundlings. I was in a, uh, one of their final classes. Because you know how long you took? How long? Did you so take- I took four classes at the Groundlings. It took five years. Okay. To get to that fourth class, and that you know, it's just an example of how. Yeah. How popular the Groundlings is and how hard it is to get to uh, move up there. But the final show to graduate into the Sunday Company, um, I get a call saying you didn't move up, and then I hang up. And literally within 30 seconds, I get a call from a manager who's like, "You just booked uh, this hosting gig for E on a new comp- a competition show called Screenplay. It was E's first ever competition show, and it was actually it was from the guys who did Fear Factor. It was kind of a a poor man's it was a better premise than fear factor but it was on cable so we didn't have the budget the whole idea it was called screenplay and it was based on the all the stunts everything would be scenes from your favorite movies so the way they pitched it was imagine being on top of nakatomi tower like bruce willis jumping off on the fire hose like the contestants are going to have to do stuff like that that was what they pitched we get the budget from e we end up doing stuff like recreating the tricycle race from revenge of the nerds we uh it was we 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 so really you're in the dumpster like uh, you climb up the ladder like it animal was, house it was we had office space we had we just got a whole bunch of old fax machines you had to smash them and find a card that says you win and the first person to do it it was awesome but it was that thing of you realize 
There are just so many facts. It doesn't matter if you have a great premise to a show. There's so much. There's being on the right channel, having the support of the network, executing it right, um, being kind of in the zeitgeist, just being the, sh the right show at the right time. But that show... Uh, ended up getting me my next gig, which was a home makeover show on the Style Network, E's sister channel, called Clean House. And I actually, what happened was they, they had a guy who uh, wasn't able to continue working in this position called the go-to guy. They needed somebody to fill in two days before an episode started. Now, they knew me, the casting people knew me from E, so they called me and like, hey, come in, do this for two episodes while we cast uh, the real replacement, and that was with Niecy Nash. Exactly. Yeah, because I asked my girlfriend because I was sitting there going, mm. I, go, "I go clean house." She goes, "Oh yeah, with Niecy Nash." Yeah, and I go because I was looking through your. Resume, Nobody go, says clean house with Matt Eisman. It's usually yeah. clean house with Niecy but Nash. I, I said he was a go. She goes, oh, "I remember the go to guy." So, so you, so you get on that now. When you, it's a difference. You when you hosted, you when you were hosting that show. Yeah. This you're not the host. Right. They, you, you, uh, we were all considered hosts, but okay. really you fill a role. I was the handyman construction guy. Now, did you have uh, no, any experience no, in that? No, none. This, I'm, coming, I'm coming clean here, Coop. I, uh, I'd never done any handyman work in my life, and I confessed it. I told the EP, like, listen, I want to let you know, I don't know my way around a hammer. She's like, it doesn't matter. This show's not about the, uh, doing the work. It's about interacting with people. I'm like, okay, that I can do. So you end up interacting with all the homeowners, talking them out of their stuff and trying to play amateur armchair psychiatrist with them. And it, it ended up being a five-year run. We did 100, over 100 episodes. We had a spinoff show. We ended up winning an Emmy for it. It just was this kind of, you know, it's that thing of you never know where your career's going and one gig leading to the next. It's just amazing, yeah, because you had no... That's the way it can be. I mean, just well, it's the you know you hate to pull pull the uh, curtain down on uh, TV, but, yeah, but well, yeah, not everything you I see know. in reality yeah. TV is real. I know. Oh, believe me, I know. I know. <laughs> believe me, I know. Uh, this is for your audience. I know you know it. We you've been out here long enough. You you've heard all the tricks. So so you you do this and, and through the commercials. Now are people starting to recognize you? Because you would think. Well, first of all, with commercials, it seems like commercial actors and people I talk to have done a lot of commercials. People recognize you, but they don't know exactly. What from yeah i would get that I, you know and i think the other thing is a lot of people would confuse me with other people i'd get chris maloney a lot from oz and svu i preferred svu because in oz he you know he yeah, had to yeah. do some some <laughs> tough things um no I, you know clean house I, I i i i think the thing i've been most recognized for is still clean house um because i think it really had such a fanatical fan base would people come up and ask you opinions about handyman stuff yeah. and you're just probably going I, uh, or they go hey are you really a handyman and i go hey everything you see me do on that show i actually do which technically is true you see me hammering a nail i actually hammered in that nail i didn't say you don't did, did you want to did you want to learn during the years to learn you know well, here's the lesson you learn if you do learn it then you have to do it okay so pretty quickly i'm like you know what let me focus on interacting and uh i'll let the real handyman do it so when you're doing that you're still doing stand-up. Yeah. Okay, now now are comics thinking, oh, yeah, this is a guy. I mean, because you know how comics you know, can be. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I, I I try not to get too wrapped up in other comics' opinions because I think in L.A. It's it's crazy. It's, 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 it's deadly. I think there's, you know, God bless the scene here, but I think there's a lot of bitterness and resentment. It's funny, yeah, because I was on a podcast yesterday with, you know, Rosie Tran? Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Well, I was on Rosie's podcast yesterday, and uh, we were just talking about it. Because like, she really doesn't do comedy anymore. I did comedy, as I said. I did it from 88 to 95. Yeah. I got out of it. I fool around with it right now. You know, I'm, I don't... Yeah. I'm not going to go out on the road. I'm, I'm working on a one-man show, which sounds so lame, but it's true, because I had a heart problem. It's just that thing. Yeah. And, and that's why I do this show. I'm doing this show live next week. But 
it's just yeah you go in and we were talking about how the, you know we talk about bringers well now it's a whole new thing where it's like you go to a show out here you go in, you don't know anybody. Like, you know, if you've been to a comedy for a long time, you think you would go into a yeah. club and say, like, oh, there's such and such. Yeah. There's such and such. Or, God, even though I got out of the business, you know, I, if I go back, you know, I'll see Joe Matarese or uh, yeah. Keith Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You knew from years ago. And here you go out and everyone's like, they're just, they're all like curmungeons. But they don't, they don't, they don't, like, they don't really do bits. And all they do is bitch on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of that. And you know what's funny, though, is, is, when I look back to when I started, people complain, oh, it's random, it's random, the people who break through, it's random, the people who get their shots, I'm funnier than this guy. But I would say, looking back on when I started, I think the people who I thought were the most talented have all done well. They might not all be $20 million uh, a picture stars, but it's two things. I, I think it's, it's you know being funny, but it's perseverance. It's really slogging it out and staying in this business. Because a lot of people come out for six months, a year, three years, and if it doesn't happen, they think, well, it's never going to happen. I'm out. Look, you, most people are 10-year overnight successes, right. you know, particularly in stand-up, when you, you don't really start, I think, getting your legs under you until 10 years. Um, you know, Some people obviously break the rule, but for the most part, I think... You know, you really have to spend a lot of hours on stage. And L.A. is a tough place to get a lot of stage time. Yeah, see, that's the thing I notice is, you know, you – and if it is stage time, it's in front of other comics. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I host a show every Tuesday night at my friend's bar. It's Burbank. No one no one really shows up. Yeah. You know, like last week we had no crowd, but we have – I only book like five or six acts that I know and yeah. I get along with. So we all just hang out and we watch, and it's just like – Working out, but the night before I'd stop by because my girlfriend was watching 24 and I don't watch yeah. 24. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna go down there to his bar, lay an open mic. I went in for like three minutes and I was like, This is BS, you know, like they're yeah. sitting there all judge me. I'm like, yeah, You know, I've I made more, you know, believe me, I made, I, I, comedy was my living, my, yeah, I, you know, years ago. Right. I said, It's not like you guys would sit there and do five minutes and put on Facebook, you go, profession, comedian. Yeah, no, you're not a comedian, right? You know, you can't, if you're, you're, you're not a comedian waiter. if you have a day job, you're you know, a it's, it's crazy. Well, but you know, and I, I think that, that. I, I totally agree with that, that I think that's one of the dangers about performing stand-up in L.A. is you can really start to play to the back of the room. And I think it can start coloring your comedy and taking you in ways you may not want to get. You, not everyone's aware of it. And you start doing this stuff that's so specific to L.A. that when you go out on the road, it's it just doesn't play. Right. Because people aren't from here. And I think, you know, that's why it's so important. You know, I salute. There are people who've busted their, their asses in LA and made a career out of it and done well. And I think, you know, that's probably more the exception. Um, but, but I, you know, there, there are just some comics who are just that funny, who work that hard, who work in the clubs and who keep pushing themselves and who don't get sucked into this judgment of, of all the other comics. And I think by doing that, they end up gaining the respect of the other comics, but it, it is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough place. I think you really have to have a, a strong, uh, confidence in your point of view, and you have to be willing to to bomb in front of them and develop this new material. And it's uh, it's hard. I think it's a hard place not to start, you know, uh, trying to do the tricks that you know work. Now, when you're doing clean house, were you parlaying that into going on the road? You know, I tried to for the life of me, but uh, it just wasn't a comedy going crowd. It was lots of stay at home moms, housewives who just wouldn't come out to clubs. Um, and when we would go to towns. I would try to book, you know, book times in the clubs, but invariably our shoot schedule would conflict, so I wouldn't be able to do all the nights. And it really, honestly, it actually 
hurt my comedy career because I wasn't doing stand-up as much, and it really didn't give uh, you know access to the comedy club demo demographics. So you're sitting there, you're doing clean house and uh, clean house. Yeah. And uh, now, when that gets done, do you say I want to follow serious like uh, acting, like TV movie acting? Well, or do you say so I want to do during host? while I'm doing clean house. Uh, it leads to another gig uh, called Sports Soup on Versus, which was another sister channel of E and Style. So I end up doing Sports Soup, the sports version of the soup with KP Anderson. The executive producer was John Moore, is one of the best writers I've ever met in my life. Um, and so we're doing this other show that becomes my dream job. I mean, this is sports and comedy. We're getting to do these monologues, these jokes, and you're getting to meet all the stars, Shaq and Kobe and LeBron. And just nobody tuned in. Part of the problem was it was Versus, which uh, nobody knew existed. It's become NBC Sports. Yeah, that's what's weird. Except, well, Versus, before it was Versus. Outdoor it, Life Network. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Out, it was oh, and Tour then, de France, yeah, uh, and see, Rodeo. I liked Versus because yeah. I'm a hockey fan. Yes. Hockey was one Versus would play. And, I probably and our saw, ratings I probably would kick ass after the, yeah, after the Stanley Cup. Back then, you couldn't find. But they would play like during the season regular hockey. You know, and out here, you know, it's like, I mean, I used to, as I said, it's so funny how the Kings are so big right now. that I mean, I used to go to this one bar in Burbank. And they had the NHL package. Yeah. And they had another Flyers game. I'd say, put the Kings on. And the bartender would be like, oh, no, this is L.A. Nobody right. access hockey. Right? Right. And not until like, they're like, uh, two years Not later, even the Western Conference Finals. They exactly. have to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. two years later, she's sitting there with like uh, with Facebook. Go, Kings. Right. Like, you, 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 can't, you can't jump on that. I always say, well, I say, if you don't know the rules and you don't know who Luke Robitaille is, right. you can't be a Kings fan. I do have to issue a blanket apology to hockey fans because Monday night, uh, the Stanley, the third game in the Stanley Cup series was not on NBC. It was on NBC Sports because American Ninja Warrior was on NBC. Right. So I got some interesting texts or uh, tweets from sports fans, but it was not my call. I know. Well, that's what's funny was because I was thinking, you know, if it's basketball, it's automatically on ABC. Yeah, ABC the finals. I don't know, but not, I think there might be on ESPN tonight. Well, they, yeah, ABC, ESPN, and TNT have been sharing all of it, so I don't know. But the hockey, know. it's I feel bad because a lot of people don't. Get NBC Sports. Yeah. It's funny. It was two years ago when the Kings were in a Stanley Cup. I was in the hospital with a heart problem, and I, I was in there for four days. And I'm here at St. Joseph's in Burbank. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I have my own little room. Yeah. You know? But I'm watching a TV, and they don't have NBC Sports. And I just bought oh, like God. two weeks before. I just bought like a 50, 51 inch TV. Right. And I'm like, this is gonna be great. And I'm sitting there. Can I leave? They're like, well, I'm like, they're like, no. You know, there's a chance like, of death. That's I'm okay. Like, I gotta I'm see like, the Kings. Can I just go home, watch the game? <laughs> And then come back, oh, God. and there, and it was just crazy because NBA, and that, I, that's what sucks for people who are hockey fans, yeah. who don't. And NBC Sports used to be part of the sports thing with the MLB. I feel bad for hockey fans who can't watch it because yeah. of that reason. It, you know, you and you see that a lot. I think, uh, I think the NHL ever since the strike uh, what was it 10, 11 years right. ago. I think, I think that really hurt hockey, and it just kind of it lost so much momentum. And it is—it's such a great sport. I think it's the best live sport. You it's can amazing. Yeah, it's just—it's yeah, because you, you can feel the people getting oh, checked. Absolutely, you know? it's and like the they speed, have good seats. It's just and the athleticism and hand-eye coordination of these athletes. You know, to redirect a ninety-mile-an-hour slapper—it's crazy—while you're being hit is 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 insane. So, no, we, sports soup. How long did that last? Uh, two years. Okay. So, and then in the midst of sports soup, I end up getting another show within this Comcast family of 
So it starts out on E. I go to style. Then I go to verses. Then I hit the the quadrifecta. I don't know what that word is. The fourth the fourth network G four. I end up. I start on American Ninja Warrior. Okay. And that was five five years ago that I get that. So Sports Soup goes away. But then I had American Ninja Warrior. Now, did you think you you would ever fall into the hosting? Was that something that you envisioned when you started doing stand up? No, honestly, I, I always thought it would be sitcoms and stand and and comedy. I didn't consider hosting. And and fortunately for me, I think with the the rise of reality TV while a lot of people despise it. It's it's offered a lot of opportunities. And now I think it's also legitimized hosting. I don't think there's the stigma with hosting where it's either you're a host or you're an actor. Um, now you see people, I think, kind of stepping seamlessly between it. So I don't feel that the hosting necessarily precludes me from doing other things. Now, having said that, all I've done, you know, I've done, I did a guest on the the league and one on hot in Cleveland, and that's been about it. It's been now, mostly hosted. Did you have to audition for them? Uh, or, or well, did, the league, the league you? is all cast, um, ba- um, prior reputation. So that was nice. That was an offer. Had to audition for hot in Cleveland. Um, so I, you know, I still get out. I, I love it, but I realize, you know, I'm not as sharp as a lot of people who are out there because, you know, it's like going to the gym. It's same with stand up. If you're not doing it all the time, you're not as good as you could be. And same with acting. Now, did you get those scenes with Betty White? Uh, no, I didn't. All my scenes, I was Valerie Bertinelli's friend with benefits. So I, I spent an entire day in bed with a partially clothed Valerie Bertinelli. How awesome is that? Cause I mean, well, you know, especially because I'm thinking like back in the seventies, this is my dream yes. and I can't stop singing Van Halen the whole time. She, but, but I will say that my experience on hot in Cleveland was I, I've done, you know, probably six or seven guests on, on sitcoms. This was by far the best. And I think it was the strongest cast I've ever seen between Jane leaves, Wendy Malick, Betty sick. White, Valerie Bertinelli. These all, they all have like 10 to 15 years of sitcom experience. They are heavy hitters, and you're in there. They're stone cold pros. I mean, you're in and out because they do a read through, they get notes, they nail them. Betty White nailed every effing take. That is one of the funniest people I've heard. I've ever seen a friend consistently, of mine, even when we're in between breaks, just telling stories. A friend of mine wrote a commercial. I think he directed it for uh, Sharper Image. A guy named Jeff Martyr, mm-hmm. and uh, Betty White was in it. And he said it was amazing. He goes, she sat on the chair all day. Didn't miss a beat. Yeah. And it's funny because Steve Scrovan used to write for Hot in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And he said the same thing. He just said that it's just, there. she's been doing it for so long. She's 92. Yeah. But she just killed And most of it, my mom's 84 and she has Alzheimer's. Most yeah. people getting older start forgetting. Yeah. She just nails it. Nails it. It was, it was, it was, and I got to say, the writing on Hot in Cleveland is fantastic. And the delivery, they just, it's, it's, you know, it's a multi-cam sitcom and they nail it. They're hilarious. And the one thing that stinks is that's also, it's on TV land. Yeah. I think. A lot of people don't, people, a lot of people don't even know what Hot in Cleveland is. Cause Absolutely. It, and it does has a stellar cast, as you said. And yeah. it's just, you sit there and go, man, you think a network would snap that up. Yeah, you know, and and I think it's become one of the tent poles for TV Land, and ironically enough, the the uh, their uh, paired show is uh, the Soul Man, which is Cedric the Entertainer and Niecy Nash. So my episode, I got to go out for uh, they had a live premiere for Hot in Cleveland, so I was there and I got to hang out with Niecy. It was it was nice having the worlds collide. Which you know, the more the longer you're in entertainment, the smaller you realize the world. Oh is. yeah. Now now, do you do you still go for commercials? Uh, occasionally, I just went out for a Haynes one with Michael Jordan, but uh, not as not as much as I used to. It's 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 kind of tough. I mean, commercials still pay so well, but I am trying to brand myself more. So if you go out as commercials, not as yourself, but just as 
funny guy in the you know Tide commercial, the dopey dad who always gets things wrong. It's it's uh, you kind of feel like ah, do I you know am I am I at the point in my career where I can say no? Probably not. I, right. I would like that money, but I am trying to also try to branch away and just be be me. So G four has American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, and you get called to host that yes now that that the history of that comes from a japanese show. japanese show called sasuke that uh was the whole premise of it was they built the world's most difficult obstacle course and they invited 100 people out every year to try it some of them costume competitors some of them ridiculous over-the-top figures and some of them just hardcore athletes and to put it in perspective, 3,000 people have now attempted the course. Only three have ever completed it. In Japan. In Japan. No okay. American has ever done it. Um, but so they started this Japanese show. G4 started airing repeats dubbed over into English. And it just becomes a hit for them. It becomes, one, you know, along with Attack of the Show and X-Play, one of their biggest shows. So they decide to do an American version of the show, American Ninja Warrior. And the first season goes, it does well. Then they decide to put a little more money into it. So they brought in new production companies. They recast it. And I got to be the host of it. And, you know, so it starts doing great. It's G4's biggest show, highest ratings they've ever gotten. And then the merger happens where Comcast buys NBC Universal. So now all of a sudden, G4 becomes sister channels with NBC. NBC was struggling for summer programming. American Ninja Warrior is doing great. So... Uh, I think it was you know, four years ago now, they decided to do the finale on NBC. No promotion. And it ended up doing like a 1-5 and, you know, 5 million people watching it and getting great feedback. So NBC's like, this is great. The next season, um, the Japanese show goes bankrupt. So what we would do is we'd take, we'd take 100 people in Venice Beach, put them through our qualifying course, narrow it down to the top 10, take them over to Japan to compete in Sasuke on their course. Okay. It goes bankrupt. So now we don't have a, uh, we don't have a payoff. We don't no, have any course. place to go. So NBC decides, you know what, we like this show. What we're going to do is we're going to split it with you, and we're going to expand it. So now, instead of traveling to Japan, we're going to build Mount Midoriyama. That's the name of the course. We're going to build it here, and instead of having 10 guys go, we're going to have 100 Americans. So we're going to do qualifying in four cities around the country. So the show it goes from 10 hours of programming to 23 hours, and we start splitting G4 and NBC, and it starts doing great for NBC, and it did well last year. And so this year, uh, for the first time, we've been exclusively, all the episodes air on, on NBC first, and they're two hours, two hour long. We've got 13 two-hour episodes um, airing 9 p.m. on 9 p.m. on Mondays, and for the past three days, we've or p- past three Mondays, we've been the number one show on Mondays. Now you said, okay, there's four town, four cities I go to. Yeah. Now, do, does each when you go to each city, are you there? Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, we travel there. We we build a qualifying course, and and actually, the show's gotten so popular, we had to add a fifth city this year. Now, did they make you build it because you're the yeah. head? <laughs> That would be great. They, they do that. And then they have me be the course medic as well. They're, they're getting like three for one with me. So how long does it take? Like, like what, were, what were the cities uh, this year? So we did Venice, uh, Dallas, St. Louis, Miami, and Denver. We got to go to my hometown of Denver. Now, how long does it? You, they, you, don't, you don't go from the beginning because it probably takes them a while no, to No, the build crew it. will get there about a week before and start building the course. And two days out, they have it up. They start testing the obstacles the day before. They run testers through the stunt guys, and then they start running. We'll, we'll have people who, who didn't get in, um, who submitted for the, for the show but didn't get in. A lot of them will come out, and we'll put them through the course just to see how competitors unfamiliar with it will do. And then 
we start running people in. You know, people don't get they don't get a practice on it until they're competing. They don't get a set foot on the course. They don't know what they're going to face. It changes from city to city, so they have no idea what they're going to face until they show up. So, you know, the difficulty level of this thing is is ridiculous. Well, that's what I've seen. It just it looks, you know, I mean, you see stuff like Wipeout and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, that's something. But it's like, this just looks insane. Well, it really is a, an athletic challenge. And this one, the people are all in great shape. Like, yeah. on your show. Like, I, I we started watching uh, the, last, the night I think I sent you the message yeah. the next yeah. day. We started watching it. Because then, as I said, the only reason is because Mary Ellen Hooper put, oh, Matt Eisen, right. or whatever. And so I said, well, this guy must be a comic. And I, I always do my research. And I said, oh, I'll send him a message. And what's the worst? thing. You're just going to say, no, I'll go, right. hey, the hell with it. And you got back to me. I said, it's cool. And it was just, uh, it was cool because we were watching it. And uh, do you know Tracy Skeen? Tracy Skeen. I know And Brian McKim. They're a They live in Vegas. They've, okay. They've been comics forever. Uh -huh. Well, she had put, she wanted to go see it in Vegas, but yet she was leaving for the road the next day. And like in Vegas, when the taping, it was there for, the, you're like for like five hours or something like that. Oh no! You're there. <laughs> or all you're there. All we we end up having to pay audience members because we shoot from sun sun down to sunrise. It's Usually, like from ten hours, we'll go. And in, like in St. Louis, uh, the episode that aired last night, it was 22 degrees. So these audience members were we had to chain them to the stands to keep them there for camera purposes. Um, no, we're I'm going to Vegas tomorrow. Uh, we shoot the finale this weekend, so if they want to come out, by all means, I'll make them make them my guests. They might, they might, I'll, I'll start, they might be on the road. Yeah. I'm not sure. But so now, how did you? How do they pick the cities? Um, so you you look for it's a blend. We try to have regional cities, so people don't have to commute as far because we have people coming from all over the country. You also try to choose a city that visually is going to have something interesting. So when we shoot it, you you can I immediately identify kind of where we are. Um, and weather is a big factor. We, uh, you know, we ended up getting burned in St. Louis. It was 20 degrees. In Denver, we go to shoot in Denver in May. We're shooting on Tuesday night. I get there. Monday morning, I wake up. There's five inches of snow. It's oh, blizzarding. Man. Now, thank God it's Denver. By Tuesday, it had melted. It was all gone. It was 40 degrees. It was fine. But uh, so it's it's a it's a it's an ongoing process. I imagine next year we'll have some new cities coming into it. Kind of, you know, we'll drop some and add some different cities. Well, hopefully we'll get it next year. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Is it a big open call? How do people find out about it? Yeah. So we will put out probably in the finale this year. We'll start touting um, submissions for the following year, and we have a website. And the cool thing is now people are are obsessed with it, so they seek us out. Um, and when we put the word out, it really goes viral amongst the community. And there, there has become this ninja warrior community. There's uh, gyms sprouting up all over the country, people who meet together. They have training courses in their backyards. And these people, it, the amazing thing is the camaraderie that's formed between the competitors. Because nobody's ever won, nobody feels like they're competing against each other. They okay. feel like they're competing against themselves in the course. So they really are incredibly supportive. Having said that, I think this year someone is going to get to the top of Mount Midoriyama. So when we get to Vegas, I have a feeling there are going to be some competitive juices flowing. So how many people actually go out for it? I mean, so this year I think we had, uh, what was it, 3,000 submissions for wow. 600 spots. Um, and then we, we'll do some invites, some, you know, we had some Olympians, but actually they submitted videos. We had, uh, um, oh God, I'm blocking his name. The first, well, the first week you had Olympian, uh, the girl who got Katie Hansen, the yeah. dancing loser. And then, uh, in St. Louis we had, or in Dallas, we had, uh, the loser who got locked in the, the bathroom and had to smash out of okay, it. Yeah. And, uh, we, we've had Olympic gold medalists. We had, uh, uh, Jonathan Horton, uh, who I think was a three-time bronze medalist, a gymnast. So, and the Olympians, though, have actually struggled. We've only had one, uh, now two, 
I don't want to spoil it, but uh, two Olympians have now completed the qualifying course. That's it. Now, have you have you done the course? Yes. Now, was it hard? I failed miserably. Okay, because I'm thinking. Okay, you start off, and now it's what is weird is you, like the one thing is the uh, when the I was quintuple it, steps. Well, no, even oh. just the the the. The, the monkey peg? The pegs? Yeah. That just looks like it'd be a pain. Because one, you, it's not bad enough that you are you have these two pegs in. You have to move, but it's not bad enough that you pull out once, you got to hold yourself with one arm. But then you actually have to put it in the hole. Yeah. Which is, it's. I mean, if it was like, if it was just like climbing a wall, if you could hand to hand. Yeah. But that, and then the wheel must be hard. Because everyone I noticed, people always miss their one foot yeah. in that wheel. It, it's hard. You know, it's really hard to have that hip flexibility on the spinning wheel. Um, you know, it, w- what we see is so much of it is upper body intensive stuff. And that comes down to strength to weight ratio. Um, it's not absolute strength. Like, I'm a decently strong guy, but I weigh 225 pounds. So, you know, I can do nine pull-ups. That's about it. It is not getting me through the course. Right. I have, I, I'm a little bit out of shape to begin with, and I just have too much mass and not enough athleticism. So the guys we see typically tend to be these these smaller, you know, around 5'8 five, five, to 5'10, uh, around 150, 155-pound guys. But this has been the year where women have been – Awesome. We've had two women complete the qualifying course, which has never happened. It's Casey Catanzaro, who's five feet, five feet, uh, I think 110 pounds. She's tiny. And then Michelle Warnke, who I think is 5'4", 120. I mean, these, so you, you, size is not a limiting factor. You, the only problem is if you're too big. You can't be too small. What do you think is the hardest thing about that wall? Like, I always see people try to technique. run up. It's, it's, it's technique. It's all technique. Because, again, we've seen this five-foot-tall girl do it. And we've seen guys who are 6'5", who can dunk a basketball and put their their nose on the rim, not be able to get up it. So it's not it's not your vertical leap. So much of it is is you know the the way the best way I heard it described is to imagine when you run, you have to lean back because as the ramp curves, you need to think you don't run leaning forward onto the ground. Your legs can't move. So you need to lean back so that when you're stepping up that wall, your body is always perpendicular to the ground until you leap. Easier said than done. I've tried it a number of times. I pulled my hamstring on the warped wall. So it did not, it did not. And I've seen thousands of people do it now. But it does not translate. How many times have you ran the course? Uh, I've, I've, well, I was banned from doing it last year because I nearly, they thought I nearly snapped my neck. I missed a jump what so happened? bad. What? So it was a car, I was a jump off a trampoline into a cargo net and I missed it, but I had extended so far that I ended up going head first into the pool below. Now it's only about three and a half, four feet deep. I'm six, three. And I go in, they're like, oh my God, he's not going to walk again. And they, they weren't worried about me. They were worried. He's not going to be able to host the show. We need him to stay healthy. So they're like, Eisman, you cannot go on the course anymore which now, is probably for my own good now the your co-host akbar bajabi amila right which uh i mean i know he played pro football that must have been the hardest thing to put on a jersey yeah it's, it's like that ca- it's like that catcher used to be for the braves and the marlins salty Salt yeah it's like can, how yeah. does it fit um has he been with you the whole time no so it started out uh my co-host was jimmy smith um who's an mma broadcaster he does bellator broadcast he's the joe rogan of bellator he's just a phenomenal broadcaster and then uh johnny mosley came in the gold medal olympic skier um and for the last two years it's been akbar bajabi amila and all three are great bring different things to it it's just you know i'm i've been happy to be able to work on the show and get to work with some different people now, did they bring you in more because of your comic background your hosting well they or? brought me and I think because they knew I could host, but they and I had a sports background, but they did like the comedy. Now, I think initially the Japanese show had some tongue in cheek moments. Ours has really become much more 
authentically athletic and kind of serious sports. So occasionally, you know, I'll be lighthearted, but that's about the extent of it. So again, it's been a great show. My exposure's gone up, but people don't know I'm a comedian from it. So in that sense, again, it's one of those things that helps helps my profile, but doesn't help with stand up. Now, how long is your day when you go in? Let's say the shoot. Okay, how long are you there shooting? Well, honestly, for for a show that's you know we're going to have 13 weeks of two hours of content. You know, if you imagine a sitcom, you're working five six days a week to shoot that half hour. We go out and we'll only be in a town for three three and a half days. And we'll shoot for two of those nights, all night. We'll start sunset, usually around 8.30 p.m., and we'll finish around 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Why do you use those hours? Well, so in this, we used to shoot during the day, and what we found is inevitably you have to edit the show. You have to move runners around to kind of tell the story and you know, not to reveal the drama too early to kind of build things up. And what we found was during the day, conditions would change so much, lighting conditions, that when you'd start to place runs, sorry, pl- place runs in different orders, it, it really started to look differently. It became this past of light, dark, you know, clouds, clear, rain. So what we found was, uh, and at night, uh, the course is lit magically. So it looks better. It's easier to shoot and edit. The temperatures are also cooler. We used to shoot in the sun. You know, we did uh, the sun in Dallas. I think it got up like around 100 degrees. Guys were getting heat stroke. So at night, it's much easier for temperature. The only problem is when it gets too cold. Um, But Dallas, or uh, Vegas, uh, most importantly, I think they're going to have, it's going to be around 75 degrees all night long. So, you know, this year they're going to have optimal conditions to try to get to the top. And you're on camera. Do they shoot you the whole time? So we have a camera on us a lot of the time. We're on mic all the time. So we call, you know, we'll have 120 people go through the first night. We'll probably call 70 of those runs live. We'll do lots of stand-up. So the, hey, welcome back to Las Vegas. Here's where Miami, here's what's going on. We'll shoot those there. Uh, but inevitably, we'll have to pick up a couple calls in post because we just, you just physically can't call all those runs all night long. Uh, the second night for the finals, we'll call everything. They put us on camera a little bit, but it's the, it's a show where, you know, it's like Al Michaels. You'll see him at the top of the show, maybe at halftime, and that's about it. So, unfortunately, it's not about my handsome mug. It's just about my voice. Now, would you want to parlay that into an announcing job for a regular sport? Athlete? I would love to, but you know what? What I've learned is how hard it is to do good play-by-play. I mean, you know, I've been calling, essentially, I am the voice of this sport, for America anyway, and I know it, you know, as as well as just about anybody, and you still will get tongue-tied occasionally or have to look for things. We don't have spotters up there. We don't have people giving us info, so you have to rely on your memory and things. Now, when I watch or when I listen to those guys do a football game, I marvel. If you really listen to them, how little they stumble, how little they search for words. It is truly remarkable the way their minds work. And that only comes, I think, not from years, I think from decades of experience, from living that sport. Harry Callis, you know, yeah, it was the voice. Exactly. Of, I mean, the guy was an expert. I mean, Harry Carey, everyone would just know he's a babbling guy but yeah. harry callis was you know the, the voice of it oh yeah because the frozen yeah. tundra it was a hot one day of the and greatest hot, voices yeah, he's like, it was a hot it was a cold day and a cold month and yeah. a cold winter in philadelphia yeah. and yeah there's just great so so yeah so so you do the play-by-play so now are people recognizing you now because it seems like you said it probably has like more of a cult following on twitter you know again though because i'm not on it much and uh 
you know, I, I very rarely get recognized unless it's hardcore fans of the sport or competitors. Now, I have an American Ninja Warriors sweatshirt. I will wear it around and sometimes point at it and go, huh? You recognize me now? Because I'm desperate for attention as a comedian. But no, I can still, you know, I can still go to Starbucks and nobody mobs me. I am anonymous. No paparazzi. Now, how about Twitter? Do you have a lot of Twitter followers? Yeah. You know, and, and actually, I've started, I, I've been live tweeting the shows for the past couple of years. And it's, it's, it's so much fun. You know what I hate about the live Twitter? Is spoiling it. Well, no, I am I am incredibly cognizant of that. Because I'm on the West Coast, I don't tip results. Okay. I'll respond to people, respond to things, but try to keep the results. But even that, it's like silent. you can't sit there like like when Veep was on, you know, I sent a few messages because yeah. I watched it because I have charter, I got the East Coast feed. Yeah. But it stinks because it's like you miss it and then you say the spoiler alert, that's yeah. what sucks about Facebook. Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones, people will oh, put right. up, I don't watch the right. show, but people will put everything up and it's like I can't believe they killed a dragon. Yeah. It's like, are you just jerks? Yeah. I mean, you know, so how, how many Twitter followers do you have? Uh, it's around seventy thousand. Okay, now do you have to watch what you tweet? I mean, because you're not a comic? yet. Not okay. yet. I mean, I'm fairly cognizant of it. I, I you know, I've never been a controversial rape AIDS baby comic who really tackles the shocking subjects usually mostly about my life I'll do a lot of innuendo but if it's anything usually I'm the butt of the joke so you know I I, I tend to know where to toe the line I I you know this I think this is a great topic though Steve I'm glad you brought this up because one of the things that's been shocking have a few more to minutes me, but I want to well it's just the I want to hear what your comics is the way speech is really getting curtailed and opinions and discussion, particularly for comics. And, you know, for the example, one of the, one of the comics who I really admire is Jim Norton. And he constantly talks about how, you know, if you do a joke about rape, it is taken as literal, as this is your position on it. People won't understand you may be saying it ironically or trying to engender a discussion about it. Yet, if an actor portrays a rapist, nobody then says, well, you're a rapist in real life. And it's this thing of people aren't treating stand-up as, as, as an art. And I think comics are really starting to not tackle tough subjects, and I think that's a shame. Well, you know what I hate about it? I hate also is that other comics jump, other comics yes. slam people, and it's like, yes. it's like it's, I remember when people were slamming Joan Rivers because a joke she made about the Brianna Cleveland. Khabib. It's, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's Joan Rivers. And I love that she didn't apologize. She said, it's a joke. And, she, you know, she can do it. But the reality is, most people know I, I don't want to lose my... I mean, if, if the network came to me and said, you apologize for that or you lose your job, you're going to... I'm going to apologize. I want to keep my job. It's, yeah, it, it's just one thing. That I'm, and me and Rosie were talking about this yesterday, too. And it's like, we'll do this. We have like three minutes left. But we always say like, people pile on people, they make a fat joke. But if you make a bald joke, it's fine. Right. Okay. That's now, the now, thing. See, I'm bald. Right. I'm fine with it. I have a beautiful girlfriend. Right. I don't care. But I have friends who lost their hair when they were 21. And yeah. they freaked out. And if you sit there and go get a hairpiece, then people make fun of the hairpiece. Right. And that's okay. But there are like, certain topics that are okay. Not. Right. It's like, come on, man. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's true. In it's comedy. South Park. Either everything is fair game or nothing is fair game. That you can't say, people say, well, you can make fun of anything except this topic that is dear to my heart. Right. Because this offends me. And it's like, look, that I, I, I think that's the problem with society is everyone once has this thing of, I, people feel I should never be offended. Look, it's your right to be offended, but don't try to censor somebody because they said right. something offensive. Use it as a as a jumping off point to actually have a talk about it and maybe enlighten people and and learn new points of view. Exactly. We got to wrap up soon. Yep. Are you still doing stand up? Still doing stand up. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to be down at uh, the Comedy Palace in San Diego on June 26th and 27th. So I hope people come on out. That's the one in uh, Gaslamp. I think so. Yeah, I, used I to don't live know the corner for that. Yeah, I've heard it's great. I was, I was Zach Miller San books it. I was fantastic. just in San Diego a few weeks ago. Yeah, and. Uh, 
just because me and my girlfriend went down to meet some friends. And so any any and so what's your Twitter? What's your Twitter? Uh, at Matt Eisman. That's M A T T I S E M A N. And I am on there way too much. So please say hello and make me feel not so lonely. Website, anything? Yeah, Matt. Uh, you know, uh, Twitter's where I'm at. I have MattEisman.com, but you know. Uh, Facebook, all Twitter's really where I hang right. out. And now American, uh, your show is every American Ninja Warrior every Monday night on NBC at 9 p.m. And now when does the season finale actually? September air? 15th. So you got the whole summer going. We, we got... got the whole summer. We're actually going to shoot a special. We did USA versus Japan. I don't. I'm going to give. This is an exclusive. I don't know if they've announced this. I shouldn't say this, but we're going to do USA versus Japan versus the world. Okay. It's going to be awesome. You heard that, people. You heard that there. And exclusive for Coop. And, yeah. And so and so, June 26th, follow you on Twitter, at Matt, spell your name, because people- M-A-T-T-I-S-E-M-A-N. And yet there was no other Matt Eismans. You're lucky. I know. That's There's lucky. one other in Oklahoma, and I've so far beaten him to most of these social media sites. Good. I want to thank you for coming on, Matt. I really appreciate it. Coop well, was a ton of fun. Good. And people, uh, okay, here's here's the deal. This Saturday come out, I, I did this, uh, I did Cooper Live, the interview series, uh, two Thursdays ago at uh, Bob, Robert Romanus, better known as- uh, Damone from Fast on Ridgemont High. Oh! I did it at his coffee shop. <laughs> well, he owns a coffee shop. Bob's, Where? Bob's Espresso, 5251 Lancashire. Uh, last, two weeks ago, my guest was John Kapalos, who is Carl, the janitor from The Breakfast Club, and has been in a bunch of other stuff. Wow! This Saturday, I'm doing it free show, 7 o'clock, and my guest is Kathleen Wilhoit, who was an ER. She was Chloe, the drug addict. She's been Oh, my God! She's working on an hour conversation. She's a great musician. She's playing a few songs. That's Saturday night at 7, so Come out. It's free. Follow me on Twitter. I'll put more details on it, at Cooper Talk. And, uh, yeah, at Cooper Talk, follow me. Uh, send me an email here, Cooper at Indy 100. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. There's about 260 episodes. Go to your Android tablet, Google Play Store. Type in Cooper Talk. You get the Cooper Talk app. You can listen to all my shows there. And, yeah, so try to make it out to Saturday. It's at 7 o'clock. Bob's is very small. We were packed last time, and it's just great. He's a great supporter of the community of the entertainment. So, yeah, that's about it. Remember, follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great, safe, and happy weekend.